Okay, let's let's begin. <clears throat> we come to the fourth talk in our series on the whole topic of salvation. And uh, it's been a while since we did the last week, due to various unforeseen circumstances. Uh, you know, a few weeks have gone by, so I'll recap on where we are so far. Now, in this series, we're asking two questions, and I'm sharing from the Bible three facts. Now, the two questions we're asking are this. One, why is man separated from God? And in fact, we answered that in one of the earlier studies. And the second question is, how has this problem been overcome? Now, the three facts that we're looking at are these. Firstly, man can do nothing about it whatsoever. Secondly, God has done everything needed to overcome the problem. And thirdly, he's done it through Jesus. Now, in answering the question, why is man separated from God, we looked into Genesis and the fall of man. And we saw what I called the great divide. And we saw that the problem is that it's a question of God's nature once man had sinned. And that God's nature is holiness. Now God's holiness comprises, if you like, of two things. Firstly, his absolute righteousness. And secondly, his absolute justice. Now what we saw is that once Adam, Adam and Eve fell into sin, what happened was they became separated or divided away from God in four different ways. And you'll remember I said that picture it, that four electric fences were put up between man and God. Only these electric fences were 500 feet high and they charged with 10 million volts of electricity. The point is, that they cannot be got through or passed through by man or anything he does. And it wasn't just a question that man can't get over these four fences. The point is man can't even get over one of them. There's not one individual fence he can get over, and yet there are four of them. And you'll remember we said that these fences, the four things, are this. Firstly, that mankind was in slavery to sin and that fallen man cannot get free of his sin nature. The second fence was this. Because of God's absolute justice, sinful men and women cannot have fellowship with him. The third fence is this. That also, because of God's absolute justice, which is the other aspect of his holiness, because of God's absolute justice, he demands that the penalty of sin i.e. death and separation from him, be paid. So God's justice demands that the penalty of sin be paid. And then the fourth fence was this. We saw that the only approach that any man or woman or child can have to God is through their spirit. Each one of us has a spirit, and that, and only our spirit, is how we receive from God. And yet, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, their spirits died within them. And the result of that is that everyone is born with a dead, non-functioning spirit. Your spirit, which is the means of receiving from God, doesn't work. It's dead because of sin. You've got a non-functioning one. Now they are the four fences. 
Now tonight we begin to see how these, this barrier, if you like, this great divide was overcome, or how through the death of Jesus each fence was demolished and became no longer a problem. And tonight we're doing the first one, which is this, the fact that mankind is in slavery to sin, that mankind cannot, no one can get free of their sin nature. And that what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the answer to the sin nature problem, fence number one, and we're going to look at redemption and ransom. Now, first of all, let's redefine the particular problem, the particular fence we're dealing with. If you turn to John chapter 8 and verse 34, when Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now there you have the problem. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Go over to Romans chapter 6. And in verse 16, Paul writes this. Do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So then, what Paul is saying there, that once you have served sin, you have become a slave to sin and cannot escape from that sin in any way at all. And of course, back in Romans 3.23, don't look at it, we have this verse when Paul says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in fact, to give you that in the correct tenses from the Greek, it's all have sinned and are coming short of the glory of God. The tense changes from a past to a present. So here's the problem. All have sinned, therefore all have been separated from God through a sort of, they're in slavery to their sin nature. Now we're going to see how Jesus solved this problem, how he knocked the fence down. And so we're going to look at redemption and ransom and find out <laughs> what this means in the Bible. Now there's going to be a few Greek words that I'm going to familiarise yourself with. Don't worry if you forget the Greek words. The important thing is that you remember what they mean. And the first one is this. It's exagoradso. Alright? I like that. Agaradso, you know, I mean, it's a bit cockney, isn't it? Ex-agaradso. Now, let me tell you how we get this word. It comes from two words, agaradso, which means to buy, and ek, which means out of, all right? And agaradso, the actual word it comes from is agora, which means the marketplace, all right? So we've got ex-agaradso, which means to buy out of. And in the Greek language, it was used particularly of the purchase of slaves. Now, in Ephesians 5.16 and Colossians 4.5, don't look them up, all right, you get one phrase which Paul repeats in each one. In the King James Version, he talks about redeeming the time for the days are evil. Now, there is that word, ex-agoradso, redeeming the time for the days are evil. I think in some translation it says making the most of the time. But the actual Greek word literally means buying up the time. That's what this word means, to buy up. So what we have, we are going to look at ex agradso, which means this, to buy out of the slave market of sin. Okay. Now then, if you want to buy a slave out of the slave market, 
The thing to realise is that one slave cannot be purchased by another slave. Can you see that? In order to purchase a slave, in order to buy up to exagoradso a slave, you have got to be a free man. Now then, we're talking about buying people out of the slave market of sin. So therefore, whoever is to do that has to be a free man, i.e. has to be someone without a sin nature. Now, where does the sin nature come from? It comes from a human father. So therefore, we're looking for a man who doesn't have a human father. And of course, we're back to the last study we did when I went through with you the fact of how Jesus was the only one who could be the rescuer of mankind in his plight. Because Jesus was the son of God, he was not the son of Joseph. Jesus had a human mother, so he was totally human, but he didn't have a human father because his father was God the Father. Now that meant that firstly Jesus had no sin nature. Secondly, it meant he had no personal sin. And secondly, thirdly, it meant his spirit was alive. He had a functioning human spirit, not a dead one. Now then, the point is that Jesus, being a free man, was the only one who was able to buy up anyone from the slave market of sin. And what we're going to look at tonight, and what I'm going to show you tonight, is quite simply this. That Jesus, it wasn't only that he went into the slave market to make a purchase. The point is that Jesus bought the lot. Everyone in the slave market of sin. And this is what I'm going to show you. Now let's go a bit more into this word ex agoradso. Remember, with the ex in front, it just means out of. So the actual word we want is agoradso, to buy up. Now let's see it in a couple of other places in the scripture. If you turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20 when we read this. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price and bought is agarazzo. So Paul says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Now, go into chapter 7 and verse 23, when Paul reiterates this, and he says, you were bought with a price, ex agarazzo. Do not become slaves of men. And he's saying, don't become slaves of men, because he says, you've been set free from the slave market of sin, so you don't want to get into any kind of slavery again. But there you have it, you were bought, agoradso, with a price. Now then, that, of course, these two verses are written to Christians, because Paul's letters were written to Christians. But what I want to show you is that this agorazo, this purchase that Jesus made, doesn't just include Christians, it includes non-Christians as well. Now, if you turn to 2 Peter, chapter 2, I'm going to show you that this word is used concerning unbelievers. And if you find 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 1, and we read this, for false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Now there you've got Agarazzo, even denying the master who bought them. Now most people assume that because that language is in it, this is talking about people who are Christians. But if you go to the end of chapter 2, you get an understanding of exactly who these people are that Peter is writing about. And he says, For if after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, etc., etc., he said it will be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now then, listen to this. It has happened to them according to the proverb, the dog turns back to his own vomit and the sow is washed only to wallow in the mire. Now the key thing about these people is that they are still dogs and they are still pigs. Can you see? They are still the old creation. And yet the testimony of scripture for everyone who is converted is that they are a new creature. And therefore Peter is writing about people who came into contact with the Christian church began to take on the Christian life externally, kind of clean up their act a bit, alright? But then, because they've never got converted, they then go on to bring in all kinds of heresies into the church. But the point is, they're still a dog, or they're still a pig. Can you see? They're not new creations. They are unbelievers. And yet here, Peter uses the word agarazzo to buy of these people. Remember, I'm demonstrating to you that when Jesus died on the cross, he bought the lot, he bought every slave out of the slave market of sin. Now, let's move on and keep seeing this, this word in regards to one or two other things. And let's see it in regards to the law, alright? If you turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, the thing we have to understand about the law is this. Israel made a bad mistake about the law. Because the law was given to Israel, not that they could be saved by obeying it, but to prove to them that they couldn't obey it. Therefore, the law was merely given to show them that they were sinners and that if they were to be saved, it had to be God who did it and not themselves. So the law was given not to save anyone. The law was given to reveal sin. And in Romans 3 verse 20, Paul says, For no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Full stop. Because that's all the law was ever meant to do, bring knowledge of sin. If you go to chapter 7 and verse 7, Paul says, What shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I should not have known sin. I should not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. So can you see, the law was given purely to reveal sin. And yet the big mistake that Israel made was that they thought if they tried very hard and if they obeyed the law that because of their righteousness God would accept them. Now of course the whole point that I'm going to show you now is this. If you live like that you are living under the law. And what we need to realise is that if you attempt salvation by works which is what living under the law is your salvation depends on your obedience to God. If you try to do that you are finished. 
And you're finished for this reason. Find Isaiah. Isaiah and chapter 64. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. When he says this, and notice the all in it. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now here, God is saying through Isaiah that it's not only that our sinful deeds are sinful, but even what we humanly would call our righteous deeds are to God polluted. Now, in the Hebrew, that is a very interesting word that Isaiah uses for polluted, because it's aid. And what it actually means is the female menstrual flow. That is what this word means. And of course, what it's communicating to us is this, that it could have issued in life, but it issues in death because it's unfertilized. Can you see what I mean? It could have issued in life, but instead it's issuing in death, which is basically what the menstrual flow is. It's the abortion of potential life. And what could have been life has become a death thing because it remains unfertilized, all right? And therefore, it is unsanitary. And of course, any human act of righteousness we do, unless it's been, as it were, fertilized with the power of the Spirit, it remains total death and it remains unclean in God's sight. So here we have the fact, seen very, very clearly, that no one can be justified or get right with God through living under the law. And the point is that the more under the law you are, the further you get from God. Because salvation by works, far from making you right with God, makes you more and more wrong with God because it's simply adding to the sin that's already there. The reason being, but if someone is trying to be right with God by obeying the law, then not only are they suffering from a massive doubt of pride, which is sin, another one, not only are they suffering from a, a big dose of self-righteousness, which is simply adding another sin, but on top of that, they are calling the holy God and creator a liar. Because God has said, you can't do it like that, and they're saying, we can now, can you see, therefore, to attempt salvation by works through the law simply adds to your sin. Now, that is the reason why the Bible tells us that being under the law is a curse. And it's a curse for this reason. If you live under the law, there's no way out for you. Because the harder you try to get right with God through the law, the quicker you get wronger and wronger and wronger with him. It's like a man struggling in a bog, all right? And if someone falls in a bog, the quickest way to die quickly is to struggle. You see, the more you struggle to get out of a bog, the quicker the bog sucks you down. Now, that is exactly what living under the law is like. And therefore, the law is a curse to mankind. Now then, in our previous studies, I've, always, uh, I've already introduced you to the concept that Jesus beats the problem by becoming the problem. We've seen two examples of this. Firstly, the problem was man. So Jesus becomes a man. He beats the problem by becoming it. And secondly, the problem is sin. And we've already looked briefly at 2 Corinthians 5.21, and we'll come back to it, that he who knew no sin was made sin. 
You see, Jesus beats the sin problem by becoming it. Now, what I'm going to show you now is that Jesus beats the curse of the law by becoming it. If you go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. You see, there it is. It defeats you the whole time. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no man is justified before God by the law, for he who through faith is righteous shall live. And then down in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us. Now, there is exagerazzo. That's why I've cut, there's our word again. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, can you see there that Jesus became the curse of the law? And in so becoming it, he has redeemed us, he has brought us out from under the curse of the law. Now then, if you, keep, uh, if you move down into verse 25 of Galatians 3, we'll just understand a little bit more about the law here. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. Alright? We are no longer under a custodian. Now, we need to understand this. The law was given to Israel to be their custodian, alright? Now, the Greek word, paedagogos, it means a child supervisor. And the idea is that, I mean, a, a, a fairly well-off Jewish or even a Greek family, alright, would have a child supervisor, a kind of a nanny who was employed by them. Now, in the ancient world, uh, particularly the eldest son, he would one day come in and receive the inheritance his father left him. He would one day be as important as his father, all right? And everything that belonged to his father would be his. That was his inheritance. And remember, if you had a paedagogos, you were a rich family, so the kids had something to look forward to. But the point was, that child supervisor brought them up and disciplined them and turned them into the type of people who could run the business. So that when they were old enough, they actually came into the inheritance left for them. But here's the point. Until they were of the age to take over daddy's business, they didn't get any of the perks of daddy's inheritance at all. Can you see? The custodian kept them away from any freedom whatsoever, but only to prepare them for the time when they could come into the freedom of the inheritance. Now, therefore, what we've got in regards to the law, it was given as a child supervisor to Israel. It gave them no freedom because it was simply preparing them by showing them they were sinners, preparing them for the coming of Jesus to die on the cross and to save them. So, therefore, the Jews were prepared for the coming of Messiah and their inheritance was received any time they accepted that Jesus was their Messiah. So here we're seeing the idea that Jesus bought us, bought everyone out of the slave market of sin. Just going to chapter 4, mm -hmm. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no better than a slave, though he is under owner of all the estate. You see, the potential is there, but he can't come into us. But go down to verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, 
Now, there's the virgin birth, not born of man, born of woman. It had nothing to do with a human man at all. Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, there you have that word, ex agoradso. Can you see, bought out of the slave market of salvation by works. Now, we've seen it in regards to the law given to Israel, and that only applied to the Jews. But remember, the Gentiles, we have our own version, because there are many, many people who are trying to be justified before God by being good people. That is exactly the same as being under the law. And we've seen that's a curse. We've seen that Jesus became that curse of salvation by works and has redeemed us and everyone out of it, okay? So we've seen that everyone has been bought out of the slave market of sin and also the slave market of salvation by works. But now we're going to concentrate ever so hard because now comes the tricky bit, all right? I, I found for some years that, that this was a, a, a very, very difficult... Uh, uh, there was always something I wasn't too happy with about all the standard teaching that I'd heard about the atonement, etc., etc. And it was only when I really got into the Greek that it suddenly hit me. I realised the missing ingredient was there. It hadn't come out in the English translations. Now then, here's the tricky bit. It's not complicated, it's just tricky, but I will try and make it as clear as I possibly can. We are talking about redemption. And we've looked at exagoradso, and we have seen that that means to buy up and gets translated redeemed. However, redemption, the process of redemption, whatever it's in regards to, because after all, I mean, you can redeem, you know, I mean, a, a silver spoon that you've hopped. I mean, redemption is not just a spiritual thing. The, the process of redemption involves two things. Firstly, it involves the actual price paid, all right? Firstly, redemption involves the actual buying. But secondly, it involves the release into the buyer's ownership of what has been bought. Can you see what I'm saying? So there's an object that is going to be bought or redeemed, okay? The first thing is you pays your price, all right? But the second thing is that it is released into your ownership because you have bought it. Now, what I want you to understand is this. Actual redemption, actual redemption is the second part. The release into the buyer's hand of what has been bought. Agoradso, the word that we have looked at so far, is simply the first part. Simply the buying. Now, in the scriptures, alright, agoradso, when it boils down to it, it simply and only means to buy. That's all it means, to purchase. Uh, I mean, for those of you taking notes, John 13, verse 29, Revelations 3, verse 18. And there you will simply see to buy in the same way that you buy something in the shop. Agoradso is simply to buy. Now then, the careful distinction we've got to make is this. You see, in any normal redemption, 
The actual release of the purchased goods into the buyer's hands automatically follows the payment of the price. Can you see what I mean? You pay your money and you automatically receive what you have bought. All right. So then, redemption, actual, normally follows automatically upon the paying of the price, or ex agarazzo. That's the word we've looked at thus far. But that does not apply here. Because I'm going to show you that the paying of the price to secure actual redemption is different from the actual redemption taking place. It does not follow automatically. And it does not follow automatically for the following reason. You see, when you redeem something, what has been paid for and purchased, ex agarazzo, now belongs to the buyer or redeemer. But you see, the thing is, here we are talking not about objects, we are talking about the purchase of human beings. And because we are talking about the purchase of human beings, we are talking about the purchase of people who have genuine free will, who have genuine freedom of choice as to whether they want to actually be released into the buyer's hands. So therefore, what we've got is this. Normally, in redemption, you pay the money, ex agarazzo. That which you've paid for automatically comes into your ownership, and that is full redemption. But here, we're talking about people with free will. We're saying that the price has been paid for everyone throughout history in the slave market of sin. And therefore, because the price has been paid, everyone in the slave market of sin now belongs to the purchaser or the redeemer. But the point is this. If they choose not to pass themselves into the, owner, uh, into the ownership of the one who has bought them, Therefore, they are free to remain in the slave market of sin, alright? Actual redemption only follows when they are given into the actual ownership of the one who has bought them. So what we're saying is this. Thus far, with Exagoradso, we have seen merely the purchasing, alright? It does not, we haven't seen redemption in the Bible at all yet. I'm going to move on to that. It shouldn't really be translated as that. When this word ex agarazzo happens, it shouldn't be translated redeemed at all. It's a bit of a bad translation. It means bought and paid for, and therefore potentially redeemable, but not yet actually redeemed. So what we've got, everyone is bought and paid for, potentially redeemed, but because they have free will, they can remain in the slave market. Actual redemption is only when they give themselves into the actual ownership of the Redeemer. Alright. So then, now we're going to move on to actual redemption. We've seen the potential, that everyone is potentially bought and paid for, but now we're going to look at actual redemption. That time when you come into the actual ownership of Jesus. And the word for this 
in the scriptures is lutrosis, and we're going to look at it. The verb form is lutro, alright, but we're going to look at lutrosis, lutro. Now, what it literally means is this, to release on receipt of ransom, alright? To release or to set free on receipt of ransom. Now, if you turn to Titus, Paul's letters to, letter to Titus, and we can see this very, very clearly. Chapter 2, and if you find verse 11. And in verse 11 we read this. For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. I'll read that again. For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. Now, although the word exagoradso isn't in there, can you see there is the universality of exagoradso. The grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. The price has been paid for everyone in the slave market of sin. So there is that universal potential. Everyone is bought and paid for. But if we go down into verse 14, uh, now, no, we'll start at verse 13. Awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And now verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity. And there is Lutro, redeemed. Now here, Paul is talking not about the potential to be redeemed, but here he's talking about those who are actually redeemed, Lutro. And of course the reason is because he's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who have come out of the slave market of sin, realised the price has been paid for their freedom, and have given themselves into submission to the Redeemer. So here it's Lutro because it's writing to Christians. Uh, if you find 1 Peter 1, verse 18, and he says this, you know that you were redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers. Alright? Now, there you have it. Redeemed, Lutro, because he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have actually become redeemed. Now, interestingly enough, in my Bible, the word redeemed here is translated ransomed. I've crossed it out because it's wrong, all right? It should be redeemed in your translation. However, I'm going to say something in a minute about why my Bible has got ransomed, because there is uh, a good reason, all right? Now, you'll remember, in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, we looked at the false teachers. There, it was exagoradso, because it was talking about unbelievers, all right? False teachers. But here, in Peter, the one we've just read, it's Lutro because it's referring to believers to whom the letter was sent. And what I'm going to show you is that whenever the reference is to unbelievers, it's exagoradso. But when it's written to believers, it is always Lutro because they are actually redeemed. Everyone is bought and paid for, but believers are those who have actually come out of the slave market of sin and, if you like, accepted the offer. Now, I told you in this verse we've just read that in my Bible they translated it ransomed instead of redeemed. And I'm going to tell you the reason for that because it's very important. You see, the word in Greek for ransom is very, very similar to the Greek word for redeemed. 
I've said that the Greek word for redeem is lutrosis or lutro in its verb form. The word for ransom is lutron. Now you can see the similarity, alright? It's lutron. Now what lutron means is this. It's a means of loosing. So a ransom in the Bible is a means of loosing. Now if you turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. This bit is also in Mark 10 verse 45, but I want the Matthew 1, 20 verse 28. Where we have this. It's Jesus speaking. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It's Jesus speaking. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, also in the Mark account, we won't turn to it, but the Mark account also has this statement that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, here, because Jesus says that his life was a ransom for many, is one of the verses that there are many Christians who use because they believe that the death of Jesus on the cross was not for everyone, it was only for those whom God had predestinated. And so they call this a limited atonement. They say that the death of Jesus was not for everyone, it was for many. All right. Now I'm going to demonstrate to you that that's not the case. Because here, the only reason that Jesus said himself that he was going to give his life as a ransom for many instead of everyone is simply that Jesus knew in advance that it wouldn't be everyone who accepted the offer and therefore became actually redeemed. Now, if I left that statement there, that would be very inconclusive Bible teaching. But if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think you'll see the point. Alright? 1 Timothy chapter 2. Remember, we're looking at this word lutron, a ransom, a means of loosing. Now then, we've seen that Jesus said that he was going to give his life as a ransom for many. Now listen to what Paul says. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 3. This is good and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And you'll remember, when we looked at the rescuer, why Jesus was the only one who was qualified, we saw that if there was to be someone to save mankind from this great divide, that among the things that he had to qualify for, he had to be God, and he had to be a man as well, and here you have it again. That, that you know, sort of, um, that one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now listen to this who gave himself as a ransom for all. Okay? Now, there you have it. Jesus' life was the price. It was a ransom for all. Now, here, the actual word is anti-lutron. Anti-ransom, if you like. Now, in the Greek, anti doesn't mean against. It means instead of. It means in place of. And the significance of the anti-Christ isn't that he's against Jesus, he is. 
But the significance of the Antichrist is that he's going to put himself up instead of Jesus. Can you see? He wants to take Jesus' place. So literally, what we have here, when Paul says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all, what we literally have is that Jesus gave his life as a substitutionary means of loosing for all. So what we have is this, that everyone is exaggerated. Everyone has been bought and paid for. And they were bought and paid for by Jesus giving his life as a ransom. Everyone is ransomed. All right. But it's only of any benefit to anyone if they appropriate it personally. All right. Now then, let's go back to our actual word for redemption. All right. Lutrosis or lutro. And what it literally means is this, release on receipt of ransom. So that Jesus went into the slave market of sin, he paid the price, the price was his life, that was the ransom. Actual redemption is that when that which has been bought is released into the ownership of the one who has paid the price or the ransom. So literal, actual redemption in the Bible or lutrosis is release on receipt of ransom. So what we have thus far is this. Jesus' death on the cross was the necessary ransom, the lutron. It was for everybody, past, present and future, everyone in the slave market of sin. The world is therefore bought and paid for. Jesus came, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The world is already bought and paid for. Exagoretza. But actual redemption, lutrosis or lutro, is only when a man or a woman says yes to the purchaser or redeemer, walks out of the slave market of sin, into the ownership of the Redeemer. Alright? So therefore, what we have is Lutron ransomed, Exagoradso bought and paid for, is true of everyone. But Lutrosis, or Lutro, actual redemption, is only true of believers, i.e. those who have said, I'm free. I'm going to leave the slave market of sin. I'm going with Jesus and respond. Now then, given that that's the case, all right, that anyone can respond to that and be actually redeemed, let's have a look at one or two other things that that means for them. All right? We're talking specifically about being redeemed out of the slave market of sin. But I'll just show you one or two other things as well, because it's really rather exciting. Now then, remember, the word for redeemed is lutrosis. Now, I'm going to show you now the word apolutrosis. It's the same word, but it's got apo on the beginning. And apo, in the Greek, simply means away from. So we're going to look at, amongst some of the things that, because we've said yes to Jesus and believed on him, some of the things that we have been redeemed away from. First of all, if you go to Colossians... Colossians chapter 1. And remember that we're looking at variations on the actual Greek word for actual redemption. All right. Colossians 1 and verse 13. And Paul says, 
He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, can you see, we have been redeemed away from the dominion of darkness. We've been brought out of it. We don't belong in, you know, in that dominion of darkness. We've been brought out from any influence that Satan ought to have over us. We're free of it. Redeemed away from the dominion of darkness. And of course here the word is actual redemption because Paul's writing to Christians. Alright? Therefore it's actual redemption. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> and verse 15. This is good, this is. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, Hebrews 9, 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred, either the death of Jesus was ransom, since a death has occurred, which redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. Now, so, therefore, Israel's past sins, they've been redeemed away from them. Now, what that means for us is this, that you and I have been redeemed away from all our past sin. Every sin you have ever committed, those you did before you got converted, those you did since you got converted, those you did today, you have been redeemed away from them. Once confessed, they are nothing to do with you whatsoever. Once confessed, they are not part of your history. Isn't that amazing? We've been redeemed away from our own past sinfulness. Now, what this means is that we can forget about the past. We needn't be dragged down by the past. It has no hold over us at all. Our past sins, when Satan condemns us, become a slave market for us. We're told that we have been redeemed away from it. That is a slave market that the door is wide open and we can walk out of it at any time. Our past sins need not have any effect on us at all. And of course here, the word that the writer uses is, um, is actual redemption. It's not ex agarazzo, it's actual redemption because he's writing to Christians. All right. If you go to Romans 8, verse 23... Romans 8, I'll start from 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now. But not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now then, Paul is talking here about the redemption of our bodies at the rapture. All right. Now, and of course at the rapture you get a glorified body. Now what Paul is saying here is this, that we have been redeemed away from corrupt nature. Alright? The whole of nature has been corrupted. That's why our bodies will die. Well, we're going to get new, undying, totally uncorrupted bodies just like Jesus has got now. You see, we've been redeemed away from corrupted nature. And again, it's neutrosis 
actual redemption because he's talking to believers. Not just ex agarazzo, not potentially bought and paid or bought and paid for and therefore potentially redeemed, but it's specifically actually redeemed because he is talking to Christians. So therefore, what have we got when we put all this together? We've got this. As a result of the fall of Adam, as a result of the great divide, every man, woman and child was born in the slave market of sin. Jesus was the only free man, the only one who could do anything about it. Because if you're in a slave market, you can't decide to go and buy that slave over there. All right? It's got to be a free man. Jesus was the only one. When he died, he died as a ransom, a lutron, a means of loosing. So Jesus gave his life and his death was the ransom, the means of loosing for everyone, past, present and future. Therefore, every sinner from Adam and Eve right up until all the history that hasn't even happened yet, every sinner past, present and future has been bought out of the slave market of sin. They have been ex agaradsos, alright? But they can refuse the offer and remain slaves, alright? However, those who accept Jesus' offer as Redeemer believe on him and give themselves into his ownership. They, and only they, are actually redeemed. Lutrosis or Lutro. Alright? So that is the situation that we have. Now also, if you look up redemption, the English, in a dictionary, you'll see as well that another specific aspect of redemption, and I'm not going to home in on this, I just have, you know, I mean, you have to pick which angle you're going to attack it from. I'm just going to mention this. But inherent in the idea of redeeming something is that you're buying something back that was yours anyway. I mean, it's like, for instance, if you, you're hard up and, you know, and you find Auntie Flo's grandfather clock that she left you in her will, and you need a bit of ready cash, well, down the old hot shop with it, you see. They give you so much money, you get your ticket. Now then, later on, when you can pay it back, you can go down with your ticket, you can redeem it, and what was yours comes back to you because you paid the price. Now, that's another aspect of redemption. And, of course, the point is that, quite literally, when Jesus died on the cross... Even though when Adam and Eve fell, men and women totally deserted God and gave themselves to Satan, if you like. The point is that Jesus was quite literally buying back men and women who belonged to him in the first place and who had deserted him. Because Jesus is the creator. The whole universe belongs to Jesus. Satan is merely a squatter. So Jesus is quite literally buying back that which was his anyway, but which got taken out of his possession. However, not because Jesus sold them, but because they had free will and sold themselves into the slavery of Satan by disobeying God in the first place. Alright, so we see that literally Jesus was buying back that which was his anyway. Now, we'll just have a quick look now in the Old Testament to show you that all this that I've said is there. It's really amazing what some of those guys know. If you go to Job, 
chapter 19. And I've already looked, I think, in this course at various things in Job. And my reason is, because as far as we know, this was the first book of the Bible ever written. It is the oldest book in the Bible, all right? It was before the law was given or anything like that, okay? And it's stated around 2000 BC, probably around the time of Abraham. So we're talking about way back, if you like, in the early history of the world. And therefore, it's wonderful because these men had no scripture at all. There wasn't any scripture around when, when Job was written. And it's incredible to know how much they knew simply because God was revealing himself to them. Now then, listen to this, Job 19, verse 25. And Job says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job understood about redemption. And of course, the point is that when Jesus died on the cross, his death was retroactive. All right, It covered the whole of history, you see. So he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. So Job knew that he was redeemed and he believed on the Lord. He had actually been redeemed out of the slave market of sin. More than that, and this is kind of um, one or two things to come in later studies, and at last he will stand upon the earth. Well, he knew about the second coming. Oh, to him, it would have, you know, he wouldn't have known which one it was, but there you have it. He knew about Messiah setting up his kingdom on the earth. Not only that, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, then from my flesh I shall see God. He knew about the millennium, he knew about the resurrection body. Incredible, but Jesus was telling these people. Now, all that lot, the, the rapture, the millennium, the redemption of the body, we'll cover that in later studies. But for the time being, Job understood what redemption was all about. 2000 BC. Let's skip ahead 1000 years and go to the Psalms. About 1000 BC. Alright? Old King David, yeah. And in Psalm 107, and verse 2, he says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He says, look, if you're redeemed, say you're redeemed. If you know the Lord, say you know the Lord. He's saying, look, you know, we who have believed, let us confess with our lips, you see. They understood all about this, that they were redeemed because they had believed on the Lord. Now then, while we're in the Old Testament, and there's no more turning up verses to do now, let's just go back to the great picture in the Old Testament of all this. And of course, the great picture was the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And of course, what is the picture that we've got? You have Israel in Egypt as slaves, the slave masters were the taskmasters who beat them and made them work really hard. And the whole thing was under the authority of Pharaoh. Now then, of course, in the Bible, the picture language, I mean, all this is literal history, but it also serves as picture language as well. Because, of course, Egypt stood for the world. The unregenerate state before you're born again, before you're saved, all right, before you're redeemed. The taskmasters who whipped the Jews and kept them absolutely under, they represent slavery to sin. Because it didn't matter what the Israelites did, they couldn't escape from their taskmasters. They were totally under their power. And this is it. We are totally under sin's power of our own self. We can't escape from it at all. All right. So there you've got the world. There you've got slavery to sin. And of course, Pharaoh, what is Pharaoh a picture of? Or rather who? Satan. 
the God of this world. So there you have it. You know, the unregenerate state, absolutely under the slavery of sin, and therefore children of the devil, as we saw a couple of studies ago. Now then, for those who are redeemed, what does it mean? Well, that means that we can tell Satan where to go. And of course the reason is this, that God is our father now, not Satan. We are no longer under his power. Remember, the big boss, the big slave trader in the slave market of sin was Satan. Now, as long as you were in the slave market of sin, and all the unbelievers who are still in it, as long as they're in the slave market of sin, they are totally under his power. But the point is, we're talking now about when you realize that the price has been paid and you are free to walk out. Now, the point is that once you walk out, you've realized that in actual fact, Satan had no power to hold you there anyway, even though you're an unbeliever. You simply hadn't realized that the door was open for you to go. So therefore, we have this picture that Satan is in reality, if you like, a sergeant major in an army that we have been bought out of. Because you can buy yourself out of the army, can't you? And if you buy yourself out of the army, or if you get redeemed, bought out of the army, then whereas the day before you're redeemed, the day before you leave the army, if a sergeant major comes along, yes sir, and you do precisely what he says, but the day after you've left the army, that sergeant major can tell you what he wants. You don't have to obey what he said, because you've been brought out, literally, from under his power. You've been redeemed. So what this means is this. We do not have to obey Satan's orders anymore. But you see, redemption and ransom is so much more than that. Because it means this. Not only do you and I, as the actually redeemed, as believers, not only do you and I not have to obey Satan's orders, not only does Satan in reality have no power over us whatsoever because we don't have to do what he says. The only reason we do what he says is because we think we have to, not because we actually have to. But not only is that true of us now, that was true of you and me even before we got converted. Satan had no actual power at all once Jesus died. And of course the reason is simply this. All the unbelievers out there now, and you and I before we were believers, do you know what we were doing? We were sitting in a dungeon with the guards lying unconscious outside the unlocked and open door. <laughs> now can you see? This is what the death of Jesus did. It was totally universal. This is the point. When Jesus died on the cross, the fact that Satan was, was sort of defeated, this isn't rhetoric, this isn't doctrine, this isn't theological poetry, this is what actually happened. When Jesus died on the cross, the sin of the world was actually and really dealt with totally. So then, what do we have? We have quite simply this. We saw that when Adam and Eve fell, that these barriers came between man and God, the great divide. And one of the barriers, the one we're looking at tonight, and we're going to do the other three in the next three studies, the one we're looking at tonight, the problem of the sin nature, all right, slavery to sin, what we have seen is this. The moment that Jesus closed his eyes in death on the cross, that barrier disappeared. 
it wasn't there anymore at all. The barrier of slavery to sin that is between a man and God because he's in slavery to sin, that barrier, it isn't there anymore. It was before Jesus died, but the moment that Jesus died, that barrier was knocked down completely. The sin nature, slavery to sin, is no longer a barrier between those non-Christians out there and God. In fact, it never has been for them, because they were born after the death of Jesus. The only thing that prevents them now being one with God is not the barrier of their sin nature, that's gone. It's the fact that they don't believe that Jesus has knocked it down, and therefore respond. Can you see? Before Jesus died, the dungeon's door was shut. When Jesus died, the dungeon door flew open. The guards were knocked on their backs and couldn't get up again. Therefore, what separates the prisoners from freedom is no longer the dungeon. It's simply the failure to realize and act upon the fact that the door is open and that Jesus is the one who has done it. So that now, all that's required in order for a man where once he had this sin nature barrier between him and God, now, where once that stood, all that's required for an unbeliever to be redeemed, to come to freedom, is simply to offer, to accept Jesus' offer of that freedom. That is all that is required. And what we are going to be seeing in the weeks to come is that not only has this barrier been removed, but the great divide is gone. It's not there anymore. There is no barrier. There is no great divide. In fact, where the great divide once was, now Jesus stands there, and Jesus said, I am the door. You see, the prison door is wide open, and it's wide open because Jesus knocked it down, and he's standing in its place. And what we're going to be seeing, that the whole crux of the matter is quite simply this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So tonight, the first electric fence has been demolished by the death of Jesus on the cross. Next time, we look at the second electric fence and how that one was demolished and disposed of as well. Right, we will finish there.